evening, and welcome to The Dark Art. Horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Marin Mascaro. And my name is Jake Conrad. The Dark Art's a double bill, and on this episode, we're back from our summer hiatus to discuss a classic creature of the night, the vampire. First, we look at Bram Stoker's Dracula, a star-studded portrayal on the legendary Count and his tormented existence as he follows his heart to eternal love. And then we'll discuss The Lost Boys, a stylish 80s thriller that blends horror and humor, as it reminds us that everybody needs a family, even wild teenage vampires. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. Alright, so vampires. There are a lot of films that we could have possibly chosen to address this topic. But I really do think that we chose movies that are right at the top of that list. Well, I think that Dracula, the the book, I, I've I've read several times since I was a kid. I I've been fascinated with Dracula. Um, my first, I think the first almost seven years of my life as a kid, for Halloween, I was Count Dracula. I had the the crappy plastic cape. I had the teeth that just cut your your gums to ribbons. I had the two lines of blood that would be on my face the next day, no matter how hard you washed. I had the white face paint, the black eyes. I was vampire. I do the little widow's peak. I, I mean, that was Dracula to me, and that was the, the epitome of Halloween and horror and fear. So I, I loved the book. I read it when I was probably just barely old enough to read it, and I've read it many times since. So I... I I was excited to talk about vampires. Of course, I love tons of vampire movies, but Dracula kind of takes me back to my core memories of Halloween and what I love the most about the holiday. Awesome. Would you like to introduce uh, Dracula with the synopsis? Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, 1992. Count Dracula, a 15th century prince, is condemned to live off the blood of the living for eternity. Young lawyer Jonathan Harker is set, sent to Dracula's castle to finalize a land deal, but when the Count sees a photo of Harker's fiancée, Mina, the spitting image of his dead wife, he imprisons Harker and sets off for London to track her down. So, I think when we're talking about this movie, we kind of have to, I mean, I think there are a lot of points where we could, you know, talk about deviations from the book. So I think it's probably better for us to just concentrate on the movie as presented. Well, I think that one thing about the movie is being a Francis Ford Coppola movie, it it kind of takes on a whole life on, in itself. Um, he, he's done so many big, huge movies um, with big actors, and he, he's done them based on books mostly. Um, award-winning and very popular book so I, I was I think he was perfect to direct this movie and uh, and I so when you're looking at it it 
it's a combination of the of the book, some of the things that I love about the book, but then it becomes something else. And I, I think otherwise, what would be the point of having a movie? Exactly. Um, did you happen to see the TV series that just came out called The Offer? I didn't. I haven't. So that TV series was about the all of the crazy shenanigans that happened while Paramount was trying to make The Godfather happen. And obviously Francis Ford Coppola is a key part of that story and it shows just how involved he is with the filmmaking. He was actually in there helping write the script on that one. Um, he's very passionate about the projects he takes on and he commits himself fully. And it really shows. And it definitely shows in this movie too. I mean, this story was big. And he took it on head first and just really gave it the epic treatment that I think the story deserves. So it was a really very entertaining spectacle. It was a lot of fun to watch. It is a spectacle. It's um, the the rich uh, colors, the not not just the blood, but there's lots of that. But the the costumes, the um, the fact that. It feels like an opera. Like I, I, I'm not cultured. Don't worry. But my wife, being an opera singer, and and has taken me to many operas, and it feels like La Boheme and some of these like rich, um, very uh, emotional driven and very over the top um, emotion and action. I mean, it could literally have been an opera, and nothing would have changed. Uh, you know, if if Gary Oldman was singing. Uh, his his parts it really wouldn't have changed much because it was so over the top which was a little bit more than the book the book and you know not to make too many comparisons but the book is a little more cut and dry and this felt much more um, rich I would say I would definitely agree I mean it was I think that part of the experience of this was you know, to make it seem like a feast, a feast for the eyes. And they more than delivered and they were rewarded with several Academy Awards for it, you know, for best makeup and hairstyling, best costume design. I mean, those things, they succeeded in spades in this film. And one of the other things that I really liked is that not only were they, were they showing us, you know, wonderful visuals for scale, but they were also showing us visuals with symbolism as well. Like if you notice with the clothing, like they keep everybody pretty consistently in the same color palette, except when they're about to interact with Dracula. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of a way to telegraph the story, which is very clever. You know, the other thing about this movie that I, I love is that, uh, I, you know, 1992 was not, there weren't a ton of digital effects out there, but there were some. And, and I love that uh, Coppola decided to go old school with the special effects. He used, um, he used a lot of miniatures. He used, in fact, he kind of threw out um, all the special effects department. And I, I read that he went to his son, I believe, and said, I want you to help me find um, practical effects for this movie. And because of that, it feels different than it than most movies. I feel like it 
it, it does feel like an older movie, but some of the tricks that they used were, I, I know in one scene I'd read that they actually enlarged the room while it was being filmed. I think it was the, fil the scene where uh, Jonathan Harker is shaving and Dracula comes up uh, behind him, but you know, he's looking in the mirror, he doesn't, he can't see his re reflection. And they actually moved the walls back as they continued to film um, the camera going around the, the characters. So things like that that are just genius ways, and they're, they're definitely the harder way to do it. Um, it's not a lazy way to film, but to me, I love practical effects. We've said this, I've said this in almost every movie we've talked about. If you can do something practically, whether it's, you know, like I do my home, haunted house if you can do something with lights and sound versus with showing a monster I, I just I always love that more I feel like it's scarier one of the really cool effects that I liked from this movie was all of the shadow work they did with Dracula so he's interacting with someone in a room but his shadow is telling the the intent like you know reaching out with the claws for the throat or you know, like ominously hovering over while he's doing something else. I'm like, you know, this is just really cool. I really love this idea that the intent is right there the whole time, but the other person just can't see it because they're not paying attention to the shadow. I, I love it too. They're little subtle things, but again, um, it, it tells the story without having the characters. I feel like we've, I've, preached about this so much that um, many movies these days treat us like we're just complete idiots and they have it, short of having the character turn to the camera and, and break the wall and say let me explain what happened here I feel like they almost do that in every film whether it's horror or what whatever I love that they these subtle things are happening a little bit behind the scenes and, and subtle more subtle ways to tell the story well, and also another thing that this film absolutely was masterful about executing was the transitions. Like, you know, they had a peacock feather transition into a tunnel, you know, like things like that. So I was like, you know, you just don't see that kind of transition in film anymore. Not that I can recall. <laughs> well, and let's just talk about Gary Oldman for a minute. I mean, he's an incredible incredible character actor and when you when i think of this movie i mean he carries the movie just his performances even even the fact that some of it was done in prosthetics and in costume as he changed from uh wolf and bat and these other creatures and as he looked a old pile and of young, rats <laughs> a pile of rats i mean yeah. but it's it, it was his acting that made that actually seem like more than just um, a fairy tale in a way. I mean, his, his acting really, uh, I, I think back to some of the different roles, and it's almost, it, when I point out to family and friends, hey, that's Gary Oldman in this role, half the time people are just shocked because he can morph and change his appearance, his voice, and everything. In fact, I, I read that he... He spent time with a, a vocal coach to try to bring his voice down a full octave to to, to play, because his voice, I guess, is, is quite high normally, and he brought it down a full octave for the for this role because he felt like he should. And he, I think he's that kind of actor that just puts everything into whatever he does. 
Oh, absolutely. And it translates into the role so well. I mean, he was so convincing that I almost believed that a woman would leave Keanu Reeves for him. Almost. <laughs> well, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you've read that Winona has said forever that her, she and uh, Keanu are actually married because in the ceremony in this movie, they got a, mm-hmm. an actual priest to do it. So... Um, she she texts him. I guess they're still friends, and says husband, and starts out her text with husband all the time. I think that's pretty cute. Oh, yeah, I'd cling on to that too, like without a doubt. It's Keanu Reeves. Well, speaking of Keanu, as much as I love Keanu, I know that both he and Winona took quite a beating from this movie because of their accent. How did you feel about the accent? Well. You know, we discussed this offline, and I couldn't help but chuckle because your assessment of it was just so spot on. I mean, I thought it was cute. I wanted to give them both a hug. Like, they, they were adorable. You know, like like little kids putting on their parents' clothes and saying they're going to work. I mean, it was just so sweet. That's how I felt about... I, I think that Winona must have been a little better because it wasn't distracting um Keanu's was actually a little distracting for me but again I love him so much and I think I I I just kind of feel like this is not Keanu's fault this is whoever casted you know cast him in this role uh Francis Ford Coppola should have listened to this and gone yeah he's he's the right guy but let's get somebody else in fact I think they talked about Johnny Depp who I'm not saying that his accents are better but yes they are better they are definitely better (laughs) but Keanu played the role well as kind of the fresh-faced young man who is being like you're so afraid for him through that whole through the whole show and then you pity him so much that the his his wife-to-be his wife actually is is in love with and seduced by by Dracula he really did he just embodied the innocence that I think that character needs. It was it was very effective. And yes, his his accent was bad. And um, Budapest is not pronounced like that. But... <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say it, but at least I know not to, you know. <laughs> I think um, Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he brings uh, he brings so much to everything. It makes you feel like, okay, this... This movie has some weight. I mean, even though you know his, the all these roles are have been done time and time again, and everything from stupid Van Helsing, the the action movie to, uh, you the, know, the Hugh Jackman one. Yeah, which I could watch any time. I whenever, we, my kids and I joke about that because we watched a, we listened to a podcast where Seth Rogen called that show, uh, the Wet Pilgrim Hat Show. Because it's just wet the whole time, and he wears this dopey pilgrim-looking hat the whole time. Anyway, we lo- we still watch it. We like that show. Don't get me wrong. But y- these characters have been done and overdone, and in so many underworld and some of these different um, vampire stories. But is could Anthony Hopkins be a better Van Helsing? I, I don't think so I, th- I think van helsing you th- you think of somebody educated and brave and strong and and he brought that definitely to the table 
So I'm going to agree with that with some reservation because I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but me and Anthony Hopkins, we got beef. Oh, I, I mean, it's completely, it. one, it's completely one-sided. 15-year feud that's all coming from me, nothing from him, because obviously he doesn't even know about it. But, um, yeah, I'm not into that guy. Hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but he, he was the star of a movie called The World's Fastest Indian, which was about uh, motorcycle racing. And they filmed a lot of it out on the salt flats. Okay. So he spent an extended amount of time in Wendover. And during the filming, you know, he pretty much laid low. He didn't interact with anybody in the town or anything like that unless he had to. And um, whatever, it's fine. You know, several movies have been shot in Wendover. Independence Day, Con Air, Pirates of the Caribbean, lots of, you know, the core, lots more. And we don't always see the celebrities. And it's fine. But, um... A couple months later, he got on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and he talked mad shit about Wendover. And I was so mad. <laughs> and I have hated him ever since. If I know he's in a movie, I won't watch it. The only time that I watch a movie with Anthony Hopkins now is if I didn't know he was in it to start. And it's a good thing that I didn't know he was in Thor, because I wouldn't have watched it. Wow. This definitely took a fun turn for me. I So... I mean, I talk as much shit about Wendover as anybody might, but I was from there, so I guess that's okay, right? That's Well, yeah, but we lived it. It's a lived experience. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the whole thing where it's like, you know, I can talk shit about my family if I want to, right. but you better not. Or you I'll, say anything. I'll beat the hell out of you. you know, like... I understand you. I get it. But I've decided a long time ago. Um, I remember when my mom quit watching Mel Gibson movies because he split up with his wife of 20 years. And I'm like, Mom, I don't care about any of these people. I, I care about the movie. I care about the character. And so we can agree to disagree. I I, I think uh, he's still great. So, But then again, maybe you just need to go back. I think you need to go back, start from scratch, and watch Silence of the Lambs. And maybe you'll you'll get back where you were. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't want to get in the middle of this at all. Well, I have, you know, I saw a good amount of his work prior to that. And, you know, I, I am very willing to give credit where credit is due. He is a phenomenal actor. But he and I, we got <laughs> have beef. beef. Oh, definitely. And, and, if any, and if anyone out there wants to tell Mr. Hopkins that we got beef, go ahead. I would love to. I would love to talk to him about this. I'm I'm not getting a call right now on my phone. I guess that's not possible since this isn't out there yet, but it could happen. Let me know. Yep. Okay. If anyone out there, yeah, have your people get a hold of my people and we will make this discussion happen. Okay, we'll if he calls in, I'd say, you know, let's get an interview. We'll do Silence of the Lambs as one of the movies next time, you know. Yeah, and we just, can also do Fracture or whatever. Yeah, you know, whatever. One of those psychological thrillers. <laughs> Okay. We can wow. Congratulate I'm... him on being a. <laughs> we can congratulate him on being an amazing actor, and then ask him, "Yo, dude, what the hell?" <laughs> I am so happy to know this, about this beef. All right. I have a picture of me giving a double middle finger to his footprints on you know in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater. Like. Wow. It's for I, real. <laughs> I'm starting to get a little scared now, but. I mean, I feel like he's an intense enough person. This might be an even match. I, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't feel think... worried for him or you. I kind of, I just want to stand back and with some popcorn and watch this. So, 
I actually think I might have to step up to match the energy, but I'm I'm up to the challenge. Well, I'm going to throw something out that might make... I, you know, we both li- love Steve Buscemi. Um, he was the first choice to play Renfield, but he turned it down. So I feel like that's kind of a tragedy. He'd oh, man, yeah. I feel, I feel like that was a big wasted opportunity there. But if you're Steve Damn. Buscemi and people keep trying to cast you as Renfield just because you kind of look like a Renfield, I, I could see how you might get a little bit upset at that. So come on, poor guy. It's true. I mean, he was already kind of in the last set of movies we talked about. (laughs) Well, kind of. Speaking of which, I I did kind of blew my little mind for a minute there that we had both Bill and Ted appearing in these two movies. We have Keanu, who's Bill, and uh, I don't remember his name, Alex Winters. Alex Winter. Yep, as uh, Ted in Lost Boys, so... I felt like that somehow that made me complete as a complete person. I feel that the excellence of Bill and Ted is just so embedded into the subconscious <laughs> of our generation that this was, maybe it wasn't intentional, but it was fate, if you will. Like, <laughs> so a couple things. I'm, re- um, I'm really pleased with that too. Yeah, that I thought about this movie um i guess one thing that i'd read is that when francis ford coppola screened the movie for his close friend george lucas um, george lucas suggested that mina should decapitate dracula to release him so he could get to heaven and he he agreed with that and they shot it uh three weeks before this movie's release i don't know what you thought of that ending that's not part of the book but i thought it was pretty cool you know i liked it because it fit the love story that they were showing like it was poetic that she was the one to set him free because he had said to her earlier that he didn't want to turn her into a vampire because he loved her too much to damn her so now she gets to return the favor by not being selfish and loving him enough to release him so that i thought that was a nice full circle moment especially after you know all of the excitement that we got up to that point with you know the vampire heist i mean yes. one of the things that i that i enjoyed throughout this movie is that you know lucy had her three suitors all these men who wanted to marry her and they were all hot too and they all had good jobs and were rich so yeah poor her but um <laughs> So she chooses she chooses uh, Carrie Elway's character, which you know who wouldn't? He's Wesley, but yeah. um, as you wish. But yes, exactly. But although the other I have to say, guys... one of the worst lines came from uh, I think his name is Quincy, and he says, "Oh, cowboy Quincy." Yeah, he says, and I may say that Miss Lucy is hotter than a June bride riding bareback, buck naked in the middle of the Sahara. And I thought that was, I've got one of my favorite lines, but that definitely wasn't my, I thought that was one of the worst lines. It felt very forced. It feels like (laughs) some terrible Tinder. It feels like some terrible Tinder bio of today. A little bit, yeah. But, you know, but one of the things I liked is that, you know, the doctor and the cowboy, she didn't choose either of them, and yet somehow they end up part of this whole adventure. It's, it just goes to reinforce the fact that, you know, comedians have said it for years, 
there is nothing that men want more than to be part of a heist. Like, <laughs> these two men who have been rejected, they're like, well, Lucy rejected you, but now we're going to go after this vampire in this awesome, you know, horseback carriage heist. And then they're both like, you son of a bitch. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. You know, like... <laughs> That's true. I have to admit that if you can't get the girl, the heist is a really close second option. I, I agree with that as a, as a man. Um, I did like the line. I, I, I read that one of the main reasons that Gary Oldman, because he took some convincing to play this role, um, the line that got him kind of sold on the movie is when he says, as Dracula, I've crossed oceans of time to find you. He said, I, when I read that, I thought, I want to be in a movie where I get to say that to somebody because it's such a great line. And it is pretty romantic. I mean, he... It is... it. So, I guess I was scratching my head a little bit. Was that just happenstance that Keanu got sent <laughs> to his castle? I mean, he couldn't have had many visitors that he didn't eat. Uh, and he just happened to have uh, his fiance that looked just like uh, Dracula's wife in the... Like, hundreds of years before. I guess that's a pretty wild coincidence or is this just fate i guess that's love i think i think it's probably the latter i think that's what the story wanted us to believe is that there's nothing that could keep them apart i like that so eventually they were going to find their way back to each other you know kind of like in eternal sunshine and the spotless mind they both forget each other and yet come back Yep. Sorry if I spoiled that for anybody. I know this is a horror podcast. But no, no, you didn't. And hope, yeah. yeah, go watch that if you haven't. Um, yeah, well, and then tell people it's your favorite Kirsten Dunst movie because that's going to speak very highly of you. If you've seen that tweet, you know. I have. Yeah. All right, did you have any... Yeah, you uh, sent me that, actually. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. Did you have any other ideas about Dracula that stood out to you? So one thing that... I watched kind of, you know, with a with a chuckle is that everybody in this movie seemed very, very um, amorous, if you will. Um, like they were on ecstasy almost, particularly Sadie Frost, who played Lucy. I was like, wow, this is like one of the most unnecessarily thirsty casts I've ever <laughs> seen in my life, but I am loving it. <laughs> like, I, it I, just really adds to the whole like spectacle of the thing. I think that at some point, so I had read that the first day of 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 production, they read the whole of of Bram Stoker's Dracula um, from start to finish over two days, and I mean that's that's quite a lot of dedication, I think, and it kind of set the stage for what they were trying to do. At the same time, I think that from the beginning of time vampires has equaled sex uh, for most movies and and uh, this idea of um, intimately sucking somebody's neck i mean that's pretty sexual so i think they that you're right they made that exactly what <laughs> there there was no uh, softballing that in in this movie no i mean since as you said it's always been part of the lore and they just decided to go it's like well you know what we're just gonna go full out with it let's just charge this head on yep let's have the whole cast act like they're at a rave rolling on mdma <laughs> we think that that's the way to go and you know what actually they, they were right I, i'm not gonna fault them for that choice i'm really not 
Yeah, George Lucas had no notes about that at all. And it was, he just yeah. said, let, let Mina decapitate Dracula. <laughs> so, no, I love that. But another thing that I, that I like about this, and we'll, pro we'll get to explore it in the next movie too, I think one of the other themes that we always see in vampire movies is the search for connection. Because, you know, being immortal and undead and watching everybody you love die and then cycling it back through over and over and over again. I mean, it's a lonely existence. And these creatures, they want to be loved. And those are the parts of the vampire stories that I think really connect because it's a very human emotion, even though these beings aren't human anymore. So... To feel separate, but goes, still wanting that connection. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, every, I thought about a lot of vampire movies when, when we decided on this theme. And almost every single one that I could think of, that was part of the story. Even, you know, God forbid it, Twilight. I mean, that's a, that's a very key part of the story, is that Edward is lonely and he was looking for that person who was going to complete him. Okay, we're about to have beef here. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> want that. <laughs> and that uh, is the end of my compliments for Twilight. Thank I you. I can't, you know, I was going to say, Jake, you have to give me a break here. You know I live in Washington, like Twilight Central. This is where it's set. So if I speak it too loud, someone's going to come through my window and start with sparkly skin and pin me to the wall. Like, uh, You know, I but, I love Muse, but I'm still so disappointed that they used their song for the baseball scene in that, was that the second show? Oh my, that's... It was in the first one, and okay. I will say, if there's a list out there of like singular scenes, a top ten worst, if that's not on there, then again, the more beef because we have I, beef with the person who wrote that list. I'm I'm seriously thinking about cutting all this talk about Twilight. That's how angry I am. But let we'll we'll move on to a good vampire movie, and let, I'm gonna I don't want beef. You've already oh, I yeah. think you've got more than you can handle with with Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I got I, I got I to save it for Anthony Hopkins. You know, he's a knight. I'm a former soldier. We both got swords somewhere. We can okay. make this happen. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to Lost Boys then. All right. The Lost Boys, 1987. A pair of teen brothers and their mom fall on hard times and move to a small town in California. While the younger Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits in geeky comic book nerds Edward and Alan, the angst-ridden Michael soon falls for Star, a girl who turns out to be enthralled to David, leader of a local gang of vampires. When Michael finds himself changing into a creature of the night, Sam and his new friends must band together to save Michael and Star from the undead. I love Lost Boys. I mean, it hit me right at the right time. Um, I didn't see it in the theater, but it hit HBO. I would have been 15, maybe, which is, you know, to me, this was one of the best movies I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, it had everybody in it, and uh, and then all the movies I saw after that. I mean, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, um, you know, it, it would just... Every movie they came out with after that, I would think about the, the Lost Boys. Yes, the yeah. Corys. 
Um, so this movie was a huge deal for me. We had HBO at this time, and it was on all the time. Kind of like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and some of these classics that just hit me right. It was the perfect timing for The Lost Boys for me, for somebody that loves vampires, because this was new vampire. This was something different than I'd ever seen. And, you know, it wasn't the gothic, uh, operatic, uh, you know, very rich. This was like dirty and and grungy and before grunge, I guess. And it was current. And it was the people had funny lines and uh, snappy dialogue. It was. It was something completely different for me. Oh, yeah. Well, I was not allowed to see this movie until I was in my late teens, but I had the same experience with it, even though, you know, the movie was several years old by the time I was allowed to see it. I loved it. And by that time, all of the people who were in it had since gone on to become huge A-list stars who, you know, you know, Julia Roberts was engaged to every single one of them, right? But <laughs> You probably had like seen a lot I... of those movies that, that, that only came about, these actors were able to be in because of this movie, so. Yes. So I already, I already had a lot of knowledge of the cast of... You know, going back to see them as they were starting and just seeing, you know, how well they all clicked, what a tremendous group effort this movie was, just the presence of everyone together. This is one this is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. I love it. I could watch Yay. it every week. You know, it's <laughs> Well, and I have so much so of great. it memorized that it makes it I I, I try not to say it before or after or during uh, the the movie so i don't want to annoy anybody but it's it's all in my head and the timing and everything that's how many times i watched that um so let's get into it a little bit this movie takes place in santa cruz um i mean santa carla don't they they call that yes they they gave it a different name but you're right (laughs) santa cruz because, right. you know, as it turns out, the city of Santa Cruz, you know, they were a little bit wary of being portrayed this way. I wonder why. <laughs> well, and if you I, reading about why they talk about it being like the murder capital of the world, there was, I think, um, three serial killers that terrorized the, the real city, Santa Cruz, in the 70s. And so that that was kind of where this um, that honorific came from is is. I think it was, like, Kemper and some of these serial killers. They killed, like, 30, 40... I I don't know how many people, but it became synonymous with, like, bad juju, for sure. And so to feature this as um, Santa Carla, is what they called it, and the land... Like, the boardwalk, and um, it just became... And I, and I think the people there, instead of being upset about it, they, they celebrate it. I think they still have, like, festivals where they show this movie every year. So they all loved it. <laughs> they weren't upset at all. Yeah, so one of the things that I thought was really effective about, about this movie was, you know, the boardwalk. It's... You, you know, even though it's a place where people go to, you know, like cut loose, have fun, they've got little carnival rides and lights and stuff like that, there's still that appropriate air of danger about it that makes it seem very plausible 
that a group of, you know, teenage vampires would choose that as the place where they wanted to hang out, where they would scope out prey, where, you know, they just kind of were in their element. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, you know, the concert with the sax guy. I mean... (laughs) That sax guy. That's famous in and of itself. Oh, yeah, his little... uh... I don't know what you call that move, but some kind of hip thing he does there, that shirtless sax guy. And it's funny well, because... Well, he needed to draw attention to the purple pants, Jake. I mean, like... <laughs> well, what's funny is... He wanted to make sure that we saw the pants. <laughs> at the time, I just took it as normal. I didn't look at it as being a, a future meme. I'm like, yeah, this guy rocks. I mean, if I could play the sax and I was ripped like that, hell yeah, I'd be out there. <laughs> I would be doing that move all day long. And that, so I didn't really think of it as, I just thought, yeah, that's probably what they do there in old Santa Clara, a lot of that. Did you know that you could hire that guy on Cameo to, you know, wish you a happy birthday or whatever? And he doesn't even put what his name is. He puts Sax Guy from Lost Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know that he got a whole lot of gigs after that, so I I believe you. That might be the best. I'm not going to lie. I have a friend who we've joked about this for years. I was very <laughs> tempted to buy her a cameo of Sax Guy and send it to her for her. Is birthday. it shirt on or shirt off? Do you pay more? I mean, I, I don't know. You know what? I don't know. I don't know if you can <laughs> negotiate like that, but I would feel like I didn't get my money's worth if there was right. a shirt. I mean, that's, yeah. no, that's just the... inappropriate. And you got to have a sax, I mean. so. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well... So, yeah. But anyway, back to back to the <laughs> vampires. So Yeah, let's talk about the different characters. I think one thing that's that is fun is instead of even though this is current and at least it was for the for the 80s um and it you know the the costumes were cool and late, the haircuts or spiked hair and kind of the the cool look for the time. Um, they, they name a lot of the characters as an homage to Dracula. So there's a Lucy, there's Edgar and Allen, which I guess references Edgar Allan Poe, but, and not Dracula, but pointing back to these old classic horror, um, characters. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I think that they still treat the lore of vampires with, you know, like we saw in Dracula, you can't the reflection doesn't work and there's these different rules associated with vampires that seems kind of bogus if you're a vampire i'm sure you're thinking i ha- I, I can't be killed i can kill anything i'm strong but yeah i have to you know be welcomed invited into a house or i can't go in i mean there's some real lame rules for vampires i think and y- and you know, I actually saw recently that the reason the the mirror um, vampires not being able to look in the mirror started is because in old days the mirror backing was silver, so that's uh, why they yeah, couldn't be sense. associated with it. But you know, now the argument is: well, when that ceased to be a thing, could vampires see their reflection? Hmm. But this movie answered that question in a more creative way, which we can get to later. But um, one of the things that I think is very notable about this movie was Kiefer Sutherland's performance as David. He didn't have a whole lot of dialogue in this movie. No, none yet, of the vampires do, really. 
that, that group. His presence was so menacing, and but yet so magnetic, that it sold this whole idea that yeah. he was absolutely in charge and that people should do what he wanted. And which that's is, kind of, I think, a key feature for an effective vampire. Well, which is interesting because he didn't, he had to be talked into the show. He didn't want to do it. And one of the only reasons why he did is that um, he heard that a song from In Excess was going to be on the soundtrack and he really liked In Excess. Um, he he hated the prosthetic, like the the uh, contact lenses that he had to wear. In fact, the scene, one of the best scenes, when he ends up um, attacking Michael in the in the cave, and reaches out and his hand catches on fire, and you see like a tear in his eye. It's a really distinct image. I mean, that was just because the contact lens was bothering him so bad. And so he he was kind of reluctant to do it. So the fact that he his presence was is so huge in the movie. He is scary in this movie, and he at the same time he's a leader. He's he, I mean I I read that you hear the name Michael 118 times in this movie. I think half of them are from him. He's always like it's like he's hypnotizing oh, yeah. like Michael do this and Michael and Michael and that's. You're eating worms, Michael. <laughs> and he does it like he pulls it off. That His voice is awesome in that. It's less than one, you know, it's more than one Michael a minute. You know, I was like, <laughs> so many Michaels. But the whole cast is fun. Um, I think the, the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, have some of the best lines in the movie. They, they're always saying these tough guy lions but they're these like teenagers that really are way in over their head they act like they've been there and done that and killed vampires but they they haven't you know that's kind of a fun aspect of their character and they are one of the most you know like as as a pair of characters their delivery of the necessary exposition that we need to understand the rules of defeating a vampire is one of the most effective that i've ever seen because it was just such a part of who they were because they loved that stuff and they spent all their time in the comic book store. So they were able to just present it in what seemed like a very natural way, but it's also necessary information for us as the audience to know. Right. Because while we saw these things in Dracula, you know, the lack of reflection, the garlic, the crucifix, you know, the holy water, all of that, they didn't come out and say, bam, this is why it doesn't work, but here they did, but it was very subtle, and I like that. Yeah. And it's funny because they know all the rules, and it does, that. it's kind of what saves them all. They know enough to um, to have the garlic and the holy water, and um, where, you know, the people that are even, even Michael, who's changing into a vampire, um, is, is not in any way he, he's having a hard time believing it's all happening where these guys keep coming back to no this is it this is how you have to do it this is what you got to do they've never done it before and they act like they have but you're right they they were they're heroes in this even though they're the most annoying heroes the guys that are saying lines like um one of their lines that i always laugh at I trashed one in the bathroom that looked like Twisted Sister. I mean, they have all these, like, everything they say is, like, is, like, the 80s action movie. Like, the worst, 
one of the worst lines is by uh, Corey Haim when he's like, death by stereo when they shoot the vampire and he blows oh, up. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of that is so funny over the top, but it's represented. Like, I watched it. I'm the same age as these guys, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I was so excited. <laughs> well, you know, another thing, you know, something that I that I saw in common between these two movies was the fact that how Michael and Dracula came to be vampires was because, you know, chasing women. That's that's Sorry. how they, it, it's like the whole Adam and Eve thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh man, you know, like, it's like, I just gotta have this girl. And now I'm a vampire and I'm damned for all eternity. Whoa, man. You know, like. It's the oldest story, Marin. It's the oldest story. It just. No, you're right. In fact, I read a... Michael became a vampire to impress Star. And I mean, she's hot. I read a review that said, how do they, why do they just talk about the Lost Boys? There's a girl in this. And it's, she's a pretty important character because he only becomes a vampire because of her. The other, the, the other vampires don't, they're not real convincing, like doing the bridge trick where they make him, um you know, hold onto a bridge while a train's going over, which is a great scene, by the way. I love that scene. But, like, they're, oh, yes. Kiefer Sutherland, even with his hypnotic um, and saying Michael 118 times, he's not enough to convince Michael to become a vampire, but basically she just gives him the eye, and he's like, all right, I'm in. So they they kind of ignore yeah, the fact again, that... Yeah, once again, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about one of my favorite characters for a second, which is Grandpa. Uh, Grandpa. Oh, yes. Is he has some of the best lines in the movie. He just pops up to say funny stuff. Um, But, you know, I'm trying to I I wrote down a couple of his lines that makes me laugh. And and I think he's wise, too. He says they ask if he they've got a, if he has a TV there. They move in with Grandpa because um, their mother has divorced, and he's like, "No, I just like to read the TV guide." Because they find a copy of the TV guide, he says, "Read the TV guide. You don't need a TV." And, and it makes me think of how I don't ever watch TV like regular TV anymore. I read about stuff, and maybe I'll watch a series. But I think Grandpa's onto something there. And then. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, his ending line, one thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires is how the movie ends. So he gets kind of the closing line. And I had read that some people believed that... and it Because at one point, you kind of think maybe he's a vampire. The way he delivers the line and how uh, his, his their mother says, Dad, like uh, because he doesn't say anything for a long time. And I had uh, read all this, you know, conspiracy theories that he was the lead vampire and, and this and that. But I think he's just this, like, ornery old fart that kind of saves the day in the end with his old truck and his old ways and his little ponytail. And, and it, I mean, the fact that he uses Windex's aftershave is awesome, I think. Speaking of, I mean, this movie just has so many great one-liners. I got to say my favorite one is the one where Sam, you know, after he finds out that Michael is turning and is now a half-vampire, he's like, are you kidding me? My own brother? A shit-sucking vampire? Ugh! You wait till mom finds out! I'm like, oh my god. 
I'm like, but that that is just such uh, that's having a sibling in a nutshell, right there. I mean, like... I do love the line uh, uh, when the little kid vamps out and he's like, "It's the attack of Eddie Munster." That one's funny. <laughs> and then when uh, you find out, spoiler alert, that Max that's wooing and trying to date. Um, it, I guess Lucy is the mother, isn't she? Yes, Lucy. Okay, the so I said that wrong. So Lucy's the mother, and he's he Max is a head vampire, so of course, he he's he's trying to get Lucy, um, following Dracula. But he says something like, "We're going to be a big happy family, your boys and my boys." And then uh, Edgar, one of the the two comic book nerds, says, "Great, the blood sucking Brady bunch," <laughs> which is another funny line. Uh, there's a lot of funny lines and a lot of good action. I One of the critiques that Ebert had for this movie is he's like, you know, this was going somewhere, really interesting characters, and then the last 20 minutes they just make it in this typical Hollywood um, action fight to the death where the movie's over because everybody's dead. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right, buddy. That was awesome. <laughs> this well, is a total... Yeah. I mean, what what do you want them to do? This is awesome, is the way I felt like, about it. Were they were they all gonna sit down around a copy of Old Yeller and bond right. for that? I don't know. No. <laughs> no, this this went out the right way, Ebert. So I mean, I like some of his reviews, but in this case, no. I mean, this well, was and, what we all the, wanted. And the deaths for the for the main pack of vampires were all just so creative. I mean, you know, come on, David being impaled on the antlers. That was I cool. Mean, yeah. yeah. And, you know, of course, the death by stereo. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of a lame line, but it was an awesome death. I mean, <laughs> His hands blow off. He blows into peat chunks yeah. everywhere. It's cool. You know, I, I think, uh, so there's another movie that came out, another cool vampire movie that came out in 1987. I don't know, have you seen Near Dark, or have you heard of that movie? I have heard of it. I have not seen it. So it's interesting, um, because maybe Ebert would have liked that one better, I don't know. Um, but it's a, uh, it was made by the gal that did, uh, I'm trying to think of her name off the top of my head. Sorry. She did um, Zero Dark Thirty, and uh, she did... Uh, she's made quite a few movies, but this movie has Lance Henriksen and Bill Paxton, and it's a vampire movie, and there's, like, the, these vampires have been around murdering for a long time. There's that family kind of, like, trying to bring people in. I think a woman woos a guy to come into the group, of course, following everything we're saying um but it's one i'd definitely put up there it's it, it doesn't have it's a grungier feel it's a darker feel bill paxton's in it and he's great in it he's like this over-the-top psycho vampire which you can imagine bill paxton playing so put that on your list oh, yeah. I, and it's interesting jason patrick's half-brother was in Near Dark, and that came out the same year as, as this one. So it didn't get a lot of play, but it's kind of become a cult classic where Lost Boys was playing every 10 minutes on on HBO when I was a kid. So. And Catherine Bigelow directed that. Catherine Bigelow, thank you. Yeah, yeah, she also did The Hurt Locker, which I really like. She, she's done yeah. quite a few. She did, like, Strange Days. Um, good movies. So 
throw it on the list. Maybe that'd be a good uh, October one for you. Nice, without a doubt. So one thing we have to go back to, when I first saw this movie, when we find out that Max is the head vampire, it blew my mind. Like, I sure, truly, me too. truly did not see that coming. I mean, come on, he's Richard Gilmore. I mean, he wasn't at the time, but he would later become, you know, the patriarch of the Gilmore family in, you know, of course, Gilmore Girls. So Well, he's such a, he has such a kind face, and he has such a kind way about it. He does. Him. In, in, in the, even, I, I don't know Gilmore, so... He, well, he, he's he's very much the same way, and he just seemed like such a great match for Lucy because she was so kind and nurturing, and yeah. it made sense that he would want to go out with her. And also, when we found out what his real plan was, it made sense that he would want her to be the mother of his lost boys, too, because yeah. she was she just had such a wonderful, warm presence about her that, again, all of these lonely souls were looking for, and they were looking for her to be the answer. But, yeah, when I found out that it was him, my mind was blown. And then I love how he went back and explained how he subverted all the rules. <laughs> that was, like, that was like, kind of Son, you, you don't invite a vampire into your house. It renders you powerless. I'm like, wow, okay. I never thought about that. Because you don't see it happening in a lot of other vampire movies where if you invite them in, you can't defeat them with the usual stuff. And maybe it's not part of the lore in other movies, but that right. was a really cool way to present it and to have, and you know, to come on in with the curveball right at the end and be like, hey, check it out. I was like, well, well and you, you actually movie. feel bad for him when they're test doing the vampire test at dinner and they're, you know, giving him raw garlic and saying it's Parmesan cheese. And they're really just doing a lot of terrible things to this really nice guy. And so then to have it flipped like that in the end is just a great payoff. And, I mean, it it doesn't work. It's kind of a cheating way to do it because it, unless you knew that, there'd be no way of because he did pass all the tests according to the Frog Brothers, the the two comic book nerds. So it it's great. Like I again, as a kid, to me it was it blew my mind too, and it made it so fun to watch that with people who had never seen it before, and they're like, "What?" It was cool. So, well, I think. But I yes, think you just Lost need Boys. to watch it. I mean, everyone needs to yeah. watch this movie. Um, throw it on for before Halloween. Um, it it really has a great payoff. And if you want a little gore, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland biting into the head of the of a punk on the beach and having it spray up in the air like a a fountain. That's pretty gory and pretty awesome. Oh yeah. So and when you, uh, you know. <laughs> When Alex Winter gets staked, you know, good old, you know, the erstwhile oh. Bill S. Preston Esquire from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, it's... Oh, 50 it is gallons of, of nasty... Yeah. And it's not even blood. It's like brown and nasty just come pouring yeah. out of him. He's just shaking there upside down. I'm thinking, you know, so much of that got in his nose. Uh, being a kind of a clean freak the whole time, I'm like going, gross. That's gross. Oh, same thing. That's that's one of the things I was thinking too. I'm like, how much of that actually went Ugh. in his nose and mouth? So much. much of it. It had to have been. Yeah. Well, this was so fun talking about two great shows, especially Lost Boys, which I've seen. I could probably sit down and storyboard and write down most of the dialogue for this movie. And it's sad but true. But um, it's been a huge part of my 
especially in my teenage years. I mean, if it was on, I was watching it, and I probably still will. So, thanks a yeah, lot. Yeah, I'm probably going to put it on again after we're done taping. I mean, like... There you go. And then put that... Try that near dark. Put it on the list, too. I think you'll love Bill Paxton, because, you know, he can play such over-the-top guys. Him as this ruthless vampire is pretty cool, too. And it's got a, a lot of the same vibe. That's what's so weird. I think it it missed its opportunity because they came out at the same time and lost boys just was such a commercial hit. So one more thing before we sign off, do we think that Dustin from stranger things is modeled after the frog brothers? Yeah, I think that definitely the, the Goonies um, and stranger things have those connections and, and then to have um, Corey Feldman be in both these movies, it, there, there's, as you look at Stranger Things and some of the, the, even as it progresses, they're modeling so many movies from our past that it's almost too many to really like, if you just kind of absorb it when you're watching it, then you go back and th that's what I've been doing with my kids. I'm like, we're going to watch E.T. And it's like a, a, a room full of, late teens early 20s that haven't seen it and i'm like no this is stranger things let's watch and, and as you see the kids sitting around playing dungeons and dragons eating pizza making fun of each other they're like going whoa you know and i think yeah the the two comic book nerds that know everything that's perfectly dustin i mean he understands what's going on he's the one tell explaining to us why this is happening he's got the inside track um, the science um, so yeah, I think you're right. You nailed it. And I think he looks like uh, Corey Feldman too, just a little bit. Little enough bit. of a vibe. Yeah. It's enough. I love Stranger Things too. I gotta say. All right, and that's a wrap for tonight's episode of The Dark Art. Thanks for heading into the night with us to discuss some very sharp takes on a monster of legendary lore. We sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day. Until next time, friends.